House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back to the House of Mystery here on KKNW 1150 AM Seattle and KCAA 106.5 FM Los Angeles. I'm your host today, Al Warren. Joining me, of course, is Kev Thompson. Good day, Al. How are you? <laughs> it's good. I was getting worried. I thought you fell asleep. I may have. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're doing an all-nighter. So the the smoke has cleared in the western of the United States, and it's sunny first time in a month, and uh, it's a, so it's a it's a good day. But don't walk your dog if you're an eight year old. <laughs> you're likely to end up needing bond money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you'll be put in jail only in America. I, uh, that still confuses me. Well, I mean, what's the crime? I mean, walking while eight. I mean. Land of the free. <laughs> yeah, well, what is it? Day like 500 on the crazy train that we've been on now. So, And it just keeps getting better. Yeah, it keeps getting better. And so now joining us actually uh, from, from one of the same countries in the world. It's called, <laughs> it's called Australia. And it's not down under. We are down under. They are up over. So I want people to realize that. So here we go. We've got... One of the true great ones from Australia too, like the for uh, books and and true crime. Amanda Howard, how are you today? Hi Al, hi Kevin, thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, how is it down in Australia? Anything wild going on? You're going into uh, summer next, aren't you? Uh, spring's coming, yes. Yeah. So it's um it's I don't know in Fahrenheit, but it's a it's naught degrees here this morning, so it's a quite a chilly one. We've had winter just give us a last little week of don't forget I was here apparently because um we had a quite warm winter, which is pretty normal for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's so it's all right. I understand Celsius myself because I I have a place up in Canada, so we we're on the ah. same side of the same world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm usually pretty good, but I I I was not prepared for a, a six a.m. call to talk about Fahrenheit to Celsius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's only because I have to go back and forth. I need to know both. Yeah. You know, yeah, otherwise, yeah. They, you know, and the worst thing in the world, I'll tell you, don't ever tell an American, well, come on, it's, uh, you know, it's 30 degrees. Come on up. And then they head up wearing, uh, like, heavy rain, you know, they're ready for <laughs> snow and all. They're thinking 30 degrees freezing and it's snow, and they don't realize it's really, like, 90 plus. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know that. I, I know our summers. Um, we get to about forty-five degrees here, and Ooh. that is um about a hundred, hundred and ten. Yeah. So I know that much. Yeah. Now, how does that happen on a flat Earth? <laughs> uh, Ke Kevin, oh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, Kevin is our conspiracy guy, so you know. Uh, oh, I love conspiracies. <laughs> oh, then then you can talk to him for hours. He's got lots of them, you know. Oh, I love them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always have a good laugh at them too myself, and uh, we're hoping to get Alex Jones on the show soon. Oh wow! Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Well, oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, that it certainly is. I mean, it, you know, he's a, he's a character. Wow. So how did you get into such a sweet lady, get into to writing stories about murder? 
Well, actually, I, I was going to stay a sweet lady. I was actually going to be a singer and a dancer when I was younger. And um, it, Silence of the Lambs actually changed my life. So I read the book and then we had an attempt at profiling here in Sydney um, with a serial killer that was, killed in, that was killing old ladies. And um, they got it completely and utterly wrong. But it, when we arrested the guy and he was a 50-year-old man with a wife and two daughters, I was totally and utterly hooked from then on. So I've spent the last 30 years um, talking to serial killers. So very, very big change from, you know, sequins and spotlights to serial killers and, and rape, but that's yeah. what happened. Well, you know, I, I, I wear my sequins every time I talk to a serial killer, so you can, you can make the best of both worlds, right? Just, just It'll get you noticed. Uh, I prefer something silky myself. Yeah, well, there you go, yeah. Well, there you go. See, we've got it made. There's there's yeah. a making for a new show on, on Discovery. <laughs> I can see the boy band choreography now. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, hey, they've got everything else on TV. My God, I wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, wow, I just can't believe it. Now, so when you actually, what? Who, who's the scariest person you've ever met as far as serial killers? Um, well, I don't find them so scary, and and I think that's part of the. The issue, everyone expects these guys to be horrifying and standing over you and, you know, coming at you in, in, in prisons, but um, you're so protected. Granted, you can often sit in a, um, a waiting room and you think, oh, well, I know that rapist and I know that killer, and um, so there is a bit of that, and if there was an uprising, that would be scary, but um, most of them are actually quite sedate, and, and they are very polite, and I think it's because by the time I, I meet with them, um, there's so many rules that come into play, and I don't let them play stupid games, and those that get sexually explicit and all of that, they get shut down very, very quickly. So the cat and mouse game, I like to be the cat. Yeah. I, I sort of enjoy it when they get into that. But do you, um, I, I, I want to know for you, um, when, aren't you worried about the manipulation? Uh, because some, some of them, it's about what they can get from you. So when they agree to talk to you, a lot of times they're looking to achieve something through you, right? Um, Absolutely. And some of them are very keen and quite a, quite a few often they're not. They're just normal. But there's a few and, does that worry you that they'll get inside your head and sort of mess with you a little? It's something that I've actually had to learn to do, and it's something I've learned from a lot of serial killers, is I've learned to compartmentalise what they do and what they say. And I always keep it in mind that these killers are just that. They're killers, they're monsters, they're manipulative they like to play these games, and so it's about making sure that what they say and what they mean is two very different things and, and to be able to read between the lines. Because, yeah, they, they always have an agenda, and so you have to stay one step ahead of it because it can get into your head. I mean, the amount of threats I've had over the years, and I've had um, families of killers come at me, I've had groupies come at me, and it can be quite terrifying. So it's that there has been times I've thought, why the hell do I do this? Right, right. Go back to dancing. Absolutely. I still dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, but, but, but that's kind of the thing I mean. So like, so when that's happening to you and you're, and you're thinking, oh, 
man, what am I got myself into? Like, what can I do? What does that do to you? Um, and how does that change you for the next time you get involved in one of these uh, crime crime writings? Um, it, it, it can take me to some very dark places. And um, my husband, though, though he's now passed away, he, he could see it happening. He could see when I was going down that dark tunnel and, you know, staring in, into the abyss, as they say. And it's sometimes you have to come up for air and sometimes I wouldn't. I would keep going and I would keep going and I would get angry and I would get um, mad at the kids and I would I would get to a point, I think, everything is so dark and this world is horrible and what am I doing and all of that. And so it's about finding the balance and, and that's why I still dance and that's why um, I have a love for really trashy TV, like there's several housewives I like to watch oh, and things boy. like that. <laughs> Well, some of those are more psychopathic than the killers I talk to, let's face it. Yeah. But um, it's, it's sometimes it's about finding the balance because there has been times that it has been so dark. I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago on child sex predators and um, the things I saw and the images of children in positions of abuse and everything I thought what am I doing like why am I going here what what can I get out of this but I I eventually came through the other side of it and realized that it is a learning tool the book is used as a textbook in criminology courses here and so it's just sometimes about finding where you go with this and and the reasons that I continue yeah you're, you know, you're you're a fascinating person, and and this is a, this is somewhat something that I'd love to ask for someone like you. Uh, one of the books I wrote a while back was about the serial killers in Australia. A kind of the the thought I had behind the book was more about mass shootings and serial killers and how the gun laws changed your country. Yes. Um, so so after the um, that last mass shooting. And Port Arthur, yeah. right? Yeah, and the government. So I wrote about that story, and 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 then coming out of it, the way you guys confiscated the guns and changed the laws, mm-hmm. and and the stories. I you know. So this is it. I hear stories in the U.S. on both sides, um, or when I'm in Canada, I hear that things have gone really well for the for Australia. You've had no mass shooting since. Uh, everything's hunky dory in the U.S. They say no, that's not true. It's fake news, whatever. And uh, but coming from you, you're down there. You're in Australia. You're in this business. How has it af- affected the country in reality? Uh, we still have gun crime, and and we always will because there is still illegal guns on the streets. But it isn't something like we hear about the states that you walk into. Walmart packing heat, you know, to us, <laughs> <laughs> you it's, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, we we don't have a love of guns and we don't have a right to bear arms and all of that sort of stuff, though. The right to bear arms, I all, always think holding a teddy bear's arms, but that's a whole different thing. Um, but <laughs> I was actually part of the working group that created the gun buyback scheme that we had. So I was working for the police service at the time and, and was part of that law. So it's it's something that um, I think it, we we did it so quickly, and it 
the emotions that happened because we'd had the Strathfield um, sh shooting a couple of years earlier as well, and that was the first time that we increased our gun laws because um, Wade Franken went into a shopping centre and shot the place up. And so we stopped um, the, the larger semi-automatic weapons, but then after Port Arthur we went even more stringent and basically most guns were taken away unless you were in a gun club. But, I mean, there's still shootings and, and we have a bit of gangland wars that happen over turf and everything. We have... Um, Groups of that, there's a couple of suburbs local to here that do have a lot of shootings, but it's like to hear about a shooting, it's not seven a day, it's one a month that a, a bat. Yeah, so in the so, case... You know, it's work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it, so, so in overall, it was a good move for, for Australia as a country. I mean, yes and no, because yes, it, it sort of made those laws to prevent us in the future, but it wasn't preventing us from something that was a massive scar on our country. It wasn't something that was happening all the time anyway. So it, it, it was sort of about creating the laws to basically prevent us becoming like the US. But, you know, I don't think we would have ever done that, but it, it did relinquish some of the guns that might have found their way to the streets that could have had dire consequences, but I really don't think that we would have had such mass shootings anyway. Right. Now, do you think that's made an effect on serial killers? Oh, I'll tell you what, this is the worst country to be in for serial killer expert. I'll tell you what's bad for business. We, we really don't have a great deal of serial killers here, and, um, which is a good thing for most people except for me who, who writes and talks about well, it. Well, we can send uh, a few uh, over, but we've no, got, it's, got it's an overabundance. <laughs> No, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I mean, we we have pockets of killings that have remained unsolved that I think might be serial killers, and that there's a couple of cases I am watching. But our serial killers seem to be older than the US. Like ours, sort of hit about 45 to 55, which is quite odd and a, a strange statistic that I'm still watching and trying to understand why our guys are are older. But um. Our, our serial killers are few and far between, but um, they they seem to go quite brutal. They have you know five to ten victims usually, and it's um we we really torture our victims, which is quite horrific when you think about cases like the Snowtown Bank killings, where they put people in tubs like Jeffrey Dahmer did, but they were um killing and torturing their victims before they they were put into these tubs. But um, we have only so few, and I think it's because we're actually catching these people quite quickly because killings in this country are quite low that I think we have the focus that we have a good clearance rate um, because we, we don't have shootings happening seven times a day and stuff like that. Right, yeah. So wow! Now you you were writing. I was I was just realizing your book, um, a history on the hanged, and mm -hmm. and I know you're bringing up a lot of um, things that um, people probably don't realize. Like when you when you when you say that um, at times animals were also hanged with their human masters. Um, I you know I've never even thought about that. What happens to the dog? And they actually hang them. 
Yes, there's been lots of animals throughout history that have been hanged, including there's an elephant in the United States that was hanged for killing two of her trainers. So that's a horrific case um, because it failed the first time they had to hang her twice. But um, yes, throughout history, uh, animals were charged with human crimes. So there was a pig that was hanged for eating a baby because it had broken into the house and went looking for food and killed the baby and so it went to trial and people had stood up you know giving good character references and there was a defense <laughs> team it, like oh, really? like it went fully fledged it was massive the way that they they did these trials throughout history i mean i can understand that my daughter's reading charlotte's web right now but <laughs> <laughs> but wow i mean real a, a whole trial for an animal Yes, many, many of them. There was chickens that have been hanged, so horses, cows, the whole lot. But how can you how can you convict and hang them if they are not aware of what they've done? Like they're not aware of their crime. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's it just it makes it a farce. But still, we were killing animals for doing that was sort of their nature to do. So. I think it, it was. It, it just proved how ridiculous um, criminal history became for quite a while. I mean, yeah, you know, we're talking about an eight-year-old being arrested for walking a dog. Like, yeah. Yeah. thankfully, it's it's this century and not last century. Uh, yeah, that's today, uh, yeah. or you know, a couple of days ago. Yeah, but last century they would have put her down. Yep, both uh, of them. Yeah, so I guess things are getting better. Everyone, things are better. <laughs> the way you look at it, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it's what side of the, the hanging rope you're looking at it from. Yeah. But so last yeah. time we, we spoke, though, we were talking ab about hangings and, and lynchings, and there's a misconception that if you survived the hanging, you were actually let go, but it, you've corrected that. Yes, not it wasn't always the case. There was a few people that were given a pardon when uh, the rope snapped all they revived afterwards but um there are some people that were taken back up they reset the the noose they reset the trapdoor and tried a couple more times until they were successful so it's horrific cruel and unusual punishment wow or and, and this you got me with this that there was actually a gentleman that was hanged they assumed that he was dead he's on the coroner's slab and he wakes up and the doctor did what he stabbed him. So it was it was during a oh, sorry, I shouldn't have laughed. I'm so sorry. I'm a horrible. That's person. all right, I'm I going do to all the time. <laughs> it's it's gallows humor. It is. <laughs> get it? it? Get it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was this man was actually on the slab in a university, so you know, several student doctors hanging around watching them ready to do the dissection, and he sat up and started breathing. And the doctor said, Well, we're not wasting um a class today and stabbed the man so he died and so they could continue with their um autopsy so yeah did, it, do, did the doctor times. get charged then or no 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 because it was sort of went into folklore and it's happened a couple of times there was a german guy that it happened to there was a guy in england and there was another one somewhere else likely the u.s so it's happened a few <laughs> times one of them got punched in the head until he died so um oh my goodness. yeah so they, they really wanted their corpses for dissection, and so 
this is how they usually got them. And so when the hanging had actually failed, they had to take matters into their own hands. Wow. So, that, so Amanda, that leads me to this concept then. In, in today's society, or let's just say the last couple hundred years, does conviction determine the value of your life? No, because you could um, get executed for stealing bread. You can get executed for um, looking at your next-door neighbour. I mean, there's some horrific cases in the US. There's um, a young boy that was, that was killed and has since been exonerated um, purely because he was the last person seen talking to a young white girl and he was a, a, a young black boy. And um, they, they killed him purely assuming that he was the guy that had killed her. And so... Throughout history, they didn't need evidence. They didn't need to um, make sure that they had the right person. And there, there was a young um, siblings, a boy and a girl. They were eight and ten, or eight and twelve, and they were hanged for stealing bread because they were starving. And yeah, it's just hor horrific. And Napoleon actually said that you are more likely to be executed for your daily life than you are not to be executed because there were so many laws that ended with the death penalty being the punishment that it, it, it became a place that it was epidemic that they were executing these people because you could get done for stealing a pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's kind of unusual, isn't it, the whole system? Um what was your biggest surprise when you were writing Rope, um, the, the, the history of The Hanged? What, what was the thing that, learned, that you learned that you were like, wow? Uh, the, the whole book was shocking. I expected <laughs> it to be, you know, um, that there was a crime that happened and someone got hanged. But to find out that um, people would be swinging from the rope for days and um, they would still be alive because of the structure of, of their throat prevented them from, from dying. Um, the amount of decapitations that have happened throughout history. I mean, there's Blackjack Ketchum in, in the US who people took photos of and they actually sold postcards later of people posing with his dead body, with his, his head in front of him because it was such a, a, a fantastic thing that had happened. Wow. Well, do you think we've changed that much? I mean, in the way that we're processing the convicted for murder, but in the sense that um, if we had a pay-per-view of someone that was to be hanged for a crime they did, don't you think it'll do well? It'd be a bestseller, I think. I really think that people <laughs> would watch it. Literally, they could probably charge $1,000 and people would still pay it. I yeah. think that um, we all slow down at car accidents, we, we watch the ambulances fly past. Um, these days you see so many people standing around, people having fights and things like that, and they've all got their cameras out. We are now a society that is so voyeuristic to, to crime. And, um, you know, basically you hear about a crime these days and you can get on the internet and find someone has filmed it. So, which can be good and bad, you know, with the US, there's been some issues with police shooting people that, um, you know, there's a lot of film of that. I think sometimes we need to put down our phones and help people. But yeah. I think if, if, if we put executions on, on um, TV, I think a lot of people would watch it. That's for sure. Yeah.
And that's my feeling too. My impression is mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, but if, if we do that as a general society, if we're, if we're in, in a, you know, you could do a pay-per-view boxing and then you could do a pay-per-view so-and-so is getting hanged today and mm-hmm. do really well with it. If, if it's as popular as what sports would be, then what is that saying about us and how we feel about death and how we feel about the murders? You know, you know what I'm saying, because aren't yeah, you know yeah. putting someone to death in a way where we're watching them, and make and making a business out of it is is that not kind of the same as the person who murdered someone? Absolutely, I I don't understand the concept of killing someone because they've killed someone. I think it's 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 not used as a deterrent. People and serial killers will say this. I didn't think about Joe Blow that they got executed while I was killing my victims. They don't do that, and and no one would. People think that they're not going going to get caught for a start. But I think um, it would it, it could have a, a secondary effect that we actually look at ourselves and think, what the hell are we doing? That we've gone back to what we did 150 years ago, 100 years ago, where it become a public holiday and people would actually go and watch these events happen. They had to put them behind prison walls because people were tearing the corpses apart. They were trying to cut off hands and... Um, they were tearing clothes for souvenirs and, you know, there, there would be riots and, you know, there was thousands of people that turned up at the Tyburn Tree in England to watch these events. It, it, it become a whole market fair with people selling effigies and all of this sort of stuff that was happening and it, 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 it lost its, its fear that people were having parties rather than realising that there was condemned people that were about to lose their lives and back then it, it was the smaller crimes as as well as killings but they were being done for you know stealing you know a one pound note or or stealing some bread or some shoes or something like that so if we were to do that again now it, it would become that sort of atmosphere again and you know we all sat up and i did at 3am to watch the oj simpson um uh I can't think of the word, Um, when he was found not guilty. I mean, I got up and watched that. So would I get up and watch an execution? I think people would. I think I would. But I don't know how far that would go. That I think it would sort of lend itself to the decay of society once again to understand what is going on and why do we think that we want to see this. Well, yeah. has it really changed? Uh, let's go back. I remember speaking to you about this the last time that we spoke, and I got to thinking about it. Well, let's go way back. Let's look at gladiator sports mm-hmm. and, and, and what, what a festive event that that turned into. Mm-hmm. There was times that, 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 that the emperors, that they would run out of victims to throw into the pits for the lions and the gladiators to, to kill, that they would actually go through through the the auditorium and take out people from the audience and say, throw them in. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) You better be in a good seat. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) I guess the nosebleed section takes on a whole new meaning. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm I'm thinking about this in in the terms of, uh, you know, if we... If we were to watch this, would it become itself, its own entity in itself become a sport? 
that relies on its own popularity and becomes addictive in that own its own nature or would it uh, be a deterrent or would it be a decay in society as as, as you say uh, it, there's so many questions there well, well honestly, i mean it sorry kevin it, it well honestly it depends on what direction we take it in i mean uh, this is going to sound silly but let's look at running man Yep. Uh, kind, of, kind of like Amanda just said, you know, we, we run out of criminals that are on death row, so let's start convicting. You know, it, it would have a, a massive effect on society, not just entertainment, and, and it would completely change the way we deal out justice. Well, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, first of all, people wouldn't be sitting on death row for 30 years. I think they would clear the the decks very, very quickly, and it would be about who would get the bigger bang for the buck, which is then about, then we do things like these blood sports and hunger games and, and that sort of thing where they pit killers against each other, and I mean, there's a whole concept there that I could think I might write a book about, but I think Stephen King did, yeah. um, but... <laughs> I think I, I think that that's where that could all go, that um, it would become a blood sport and it would be about how do you get the next set of ratings because how many people are going to watch, you know, a lethal injection where they bring back the hangings, where they bring back the guillotine, where they, you know, increase, increase, increase. And then, as you said, once we don't have enough serial killers in that in prison that are on death row, who goes next? Yeah. Yeah, then you start picking groups that you don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, uh, yeah, yeah, conservatives. We've been there before. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's just an interesting concept about it, but I still don't know how it, it relates. I think that uh, society in itself is kind of, uh, it, 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 it kind of scares me on how people would behave. Well, as I said, people stand on the on the street now and film people being raped and beaten and all horrible things. And that there's a lot of um, films I've seen that have come out of um, a lot of Asian countries where people have taken vigilantism to to murder. So they've actually gone out and beaten someone until they're dead. And I mean. If, if, if we look at the ISIS tapes that are now coming out, they're, they're so professionally produced with slow-mo and all of this sort of stuff that's happening, they're, they're feeding that. And I think it's, it's a horrific thing that's out there, but there is a market for it. And, you know, it, I think it just takes us back to where we were when we were hanging people in the streets, you know, centuries ago. Well, do you think that it's maybe it's... Because there is so much violence that we've become desensitized to it, but at a primal level, it still excites us. You know, like, for example, your life means nothing to me, so while you're being killed, I'm going to stand here and videotape it. Well, why am I standing here videotaping it all? It's because it affects me at a primal level. But we're sitting here talking about moral judgments. Why won't you go help that person? Eh, you know, I've seen it so many times that don't bother me no more. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that does happen. I mean, there was the, there was a shooting this week in, in the U.S. where there was, and I'm going to say this horrific, horrifically, only three victims. And so people are being desensitized because when you see like the Las Vegas shooting where there's hundreds, you know, it's, it's sort of, we sort of, 
de- desensitized to some things because other things are worse. And so how far do we go before what's the worst of the worst? You know, do we have these gladiator sports where we put, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer and John Wayne Gacy into a, a into an arena and pay-per-view it? You know, this this is something that could definitely happen if, you know, because there's a lot of, you know, Fox and all of that out there. I shouldn't probably say that. Um, that, that, that that would do this if if they didn't realise that w- there would be a lot of people out there, and thankfully there is people that are politically correct, and I'm not one of them, that would probably have an outcry that would hopefully keep us down. But if we look at the US and, and the gun laws with all these shootings that happen and things like Columbine and we feel that a right to have guns is, is more important than the right to have our children live. I mean, what stops them going to that next thing of pay-per-view death penalty? Uh, I mean, I've heard it spoken about. Uh, there's, I have seen so many pictures of executions throughout the centuries. You can watch guillotines on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so it's out there. So it's about, you know, what stops them doing it? I have no idea. Yeah. Well, they figure out a way to tax it, and then they'll get it going. <laughs> oh, absolutely! That's all it needs. <laughs> you know, they can get it going, and uh, so, so who was the? Uh, I, you know, I, I hate to say that word favorite, but who was the most interesting uh, person that you've met uh, on death row? Um, Bobby Joe Long's very interesting. He's in Florida. Um, we had a lot of conversations about his arrest. Um, because when he was arrested, he'd actually gone to a cinema and when he came out, there was like snipers and all of that hanging around waiting to arrest him. And he's like, I don't know why they bothered to do that because I was done and I was right to go with them calmly. I said, you know, you'd killed nine women by this point. They weren't taking chances. And he, he doesn't understand that concept. So I, I, it's, it's really interesting sometimes to see things from their perspective. Like um, his, his response about sharing a cell with Ted Bundy was that he was a really nice guy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, well, he was. <laughs> I, I, and I'm not saying that in, in a sick way. No. They but, do appear to be nice people because they've, that's part of their camouflage. If I just walk around looking like some crazy serial killer, I'm not going to get the victims. So that's I'm what I always say. Yep, yep, yep. yep. It's it's crazy that that people go, oh, look at him. He looks like a serial killer. Look at his eyes. It's like no, wrong. <laughs> You're looking in the wrong area. Look at the bloody knife in his hand. Yeah. But, but now you you said something. That, that caught my attention that, that this this killer said well I don't understand why they had such a police presence because I was done and I was ready to you know go with them willingly it, now when he says he was done you're right we as law enforcement are not going to take the chance yeah but did let's look at his last three or four kills did he do it in a sloppy manner in order to get caught? And that's why he considered himself done. I don't have the guts to turn myself in, so I'm just going to get real sloppy so that they'll chase me down and fall, wait for me outside of a theater. Well, pretty much. I mean, his, his last victim, he let go. So you sort of know that the gig's up once, once a victim's gotten away. So I think, you know, you sort of have to resign yourself to the fact that it's over. And so... He wasn't going to go down in a blaze of glory like some some do, 
But um, he he said, you know, basically I just stood there and said, yeah, you've got me, so let's go. Of course, he's still going through appeals and all of that because now he didn't do it, of course. But um, <laughs> well, that's a lot the of attorney. them say that's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's so many innocent people in prison. Apparently, I, I speak to a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, they like they like the you know. There's again, we're talking about something primal. They appreciate mm-hmm. the limelight, and yes. then when the when the attorneys get to them, because when you get a the death penalty, generally in most states, it's an automatic appeal. Yes, yeah, that's crazy. And, you know, it, and, and the attorney is like, well, let's let's drag this out because then I get a little bit more money. Yeah. So so you're you were innocent, right? Well, yeah. no. Yes, you were innocent. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I can't believe it. I mean, I don't understand people being on death row for 30, 40 years, and it's happening. I mean, there was a guy executed this week that had been on it since 1979. It's, it's because it's always because of the process, and I'm not saying that we should kill them the next week like um, the Ukraine or China does, but it just it, it makes me wonder sometimes why are they going through all of this effort and everything when a lot of these people die before they're executed? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. A, it's a crazy sentence. Yeah, I mean Lawrence. Bideka's not long for this world, and he's been on um, death row for 30, 40 years now, I think it is. It's crazy. Yeah. I think it's political, but I think a lot of the, like the last guy I wrote about um, has been on death row for over 20 years, and I think that Mm -hmm. a lot of it is um, they get the automatic appeal, and by the time it gets to a Supreme Court, they always overturn the because they'll never put someone to death when your Supreme Court doesn't believe in it. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's kind of a formality, but it take it goes over and over and over for years, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. really hard to bring them, actually bring them to death. Yeah. So uh, why have the death penalty? Just well, say yeah. they're in prison for life. I mean, we we have a sentence here um, that life means life. So you come out feet first. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. and you don't get parole and. You know, you can't be downgraded, you're done. People like Ivan Malat, who's um, a local serial killer here, will not get out of prison until he's dead. Right. Yeah, last day is last breath. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's an interesting concept, but I think a lot of it's just caught in politics now, and we're sort of doing the, the spin around, and nothing's really happening with any of these prisoners. No, no. But they still get to go through all of these court appeals, and um, it's just it's it's a lot of cost. Yeah. And you would and you wouldn't believe the treatment a lot of them get in in prison or jail. Oh yes, I do. We um we have a few here that have computers and TVs and Xboxes and all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> they have so, Twitter accounts. They have. Yes. Oh, I have I have one guy in in the US that has Facebook that um he wants me to help him write his book, so he sends me bits and pieces of his book on Facebook. Yeah. To to read through and edit, so it's like <laughs> I don't have I don't have Facebook at work, but he does. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's crazy, yeah. uh, you know what we what we what we do for them in in a way. I just uh, I, I'm at a loss. Could you? And then another thing that's crazy is how come these guys in for life that quite a few of them have killed so many, they end up with uh, girls sending them letters and wanting to marry them. Uh, do you know a lot of killers don't like the groupies? And um, 
And a couple of people thought that's where I was headed, but obviously it's not because I do research and all of that. And oh, I should, I should have asked if you married one first. No, no, no. no. And there has been some authors that have. Um, I, I keep a bit of distance. I mean, I've had had proposals and all of that, and I've cut that down very, very quickly. But um, there's a lot that do that. I mean, I, I've spoken to people who... Um, you know, oh, Jeffrey Dahmer was only a gay serial killer because he didn't meet me, you know? Oh. <laughs> they think that they can turn them and all these weird and wonderful things and, and they're besotted by the literal worst of the bad boys. You know, but I, I, don't, I don't understand that. To me, these are killers who I have an interest in seeing where their sliding door process happens i'm that's that's my interest with a lot of these violent criminals i want to know how they went from being an innocent kid to now on death row and so it's about that process but these people literally think that they're going to marry these killers and some do um i had a girl send me a whole stack of stuff from several serial killers the other day because she had gotten too close and um Welfare were going to take her kids from her and all this sort of stuff because she was besotted with several serial killers. And she goes, I have to, like, cut ties with these people, so can you just take all this stuff so it's not in my house? Um, you know, because that's the only way that she could stop her herself from continuing down that path. And it's like, wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, there's a lot of sexy bad boys out there. You don't need to go looking in prisons. Especially when they're away for life. Look at that Bambi, 25, that was marrying Charles Manson before he died. Oh, I mean, you know, it, it's insane. Well, it's like, the celebrity syndrome. Yeah, I th yeah, it's if you're really desperate for for being famous, I think that's if, and 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 that's your only opportunity. Obviously, you didn't get onto reality TV shows, so you have to go and hook up with a serial killer. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could that could be the new series, hooking up with a serial killer. Hey, oh, you know what? what? <laughs> I bet. I, I could see it on A&E. Right after The Bachelorette, it'll be hooking up with a serial <laughs> killer, and they'll pick a serial killer, and he's got like 12 girls to, to meet, and... And, uh, <gasps> uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's and as weird you have as... the housewives. Yeah, housewives of the serial <laughs> the killers. Serial, the serial housewives of yeah. Beverly Hills. Or it could be something, you know, like that date, marry, kill, or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I'm we, sorry. It, no, but it's, it's, it's funny, but it's not. It's kind of, it's, it, you know, it's one of those things that could happen, and that's why it's not so funny, but because it, it, really it's laughable. Yeah, but it, it, it will happen. Maybe yeah. we need to produce it, but, um, yeah. you know, because there is groupies out there that, that would go on that show in a heartbeat. Um, I'm, I'm in a couple of groups that I'm in just to watch how these sorts of people work. And they're all like, oh, he didn't ring me today. And, you know, it, apparently he got put into solitary. And I'm thinking, really? There's a reason for this. I can't believe that you guys are, you know... <laughs> I want his baby. I want his baby. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh. oh, that would be, that's just too much for me. Are you it really is. up to the challenge? Because look how he turned out. That's 23 of those chromosomes in your kid. <laughs> you really want to take those odds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and and you look at the um, the offspring of serial killers. They're not happy about it. So, you know, BTK's, um, children spoke out and um, 
Jasperson's daughter spoke out, and all of these other people, and but there's these groupies out there that are besotted that, yeah, want to go and get that condom from the prison toilet and turkey baste it, you know? Yeah. Oh, I know. Wow. It's crazy. Just, uh, <laughs> just crazy. Where did we go with this conversation? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's what we do. We like to have fun here. I love it. Love it. We like to have a good time. We don't. Wanna, I don't. I don't want to ask the same old standard questions. I mean, uh, we want. I love it. We want to get into the into the real world here. That's uh, that's what we're doing here. You know. So some of your other books here, like, um, what's what's the kind of thing you look for when you decide to write a book? What is it? What what is the subject or what is the thing that captures you? Um, briefly, I think it's about the why. As I said before, I like to know about their, their sliding door moment. How did, how did they get to this point? Where, what happened? I mean, I was talking to Edward Spritzer, who's one of the Chicago guys, and um, he said, you know, when I, when I was a teenager, I wanted to become um, an aged care helper. You know, he wanted to go into, um, into aged care facilities and, you know, do the daily cleaning, feeding, you know, talking to other oldies that are in, in homes. And then he ended up going and, and torturing young women. It's like, how does that happen? So it's, I, I like to see what happens in, in those times where they go from their dreams of being a good person to becoming a torturer. And for people like that, it's, it's sometimes about the influence of others and sometimes it's about that um, sometimes their fantasies overrun their reality and they just follow on that because their, um, their line in the sand becomes obliterated and, and they don't understand where good ends and evil starts. And so they sort of blur it to a point that it, it, it becomes natural and they think it's an okay thing to do. Yeah. You know, good ends and evil starts. That's uh, mm-hmm. at, at the drive. It's very blurred. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, it, what, what kind of what what area are you going into next? What are you gonna? What's your next book going to be about? Oh, I will have about fifty-four um, <laughs> manuscripts currently. Because <laughs> wow. I'm looking at all different things because I I get excited about a topic and so I do that for a while and then I think, yeah, I need to do something different. So. I, I jump around a bit. Um, I'm writing a book on um, abductions, and um, some have good outcomes, some have bad outcomes. So there's things like J.C. Lee Dugard, who after 18 years was found. Still not a great outcome, but she's alive. She was found. Yeah, exactly. But there's other cases. Um, We have a big case here, um, a boy that was abducted, and they didn't find him for 10 years. He, He died, and it took a... It took the police to go undercover to get the killer to confess. Um, so there's a lot of cases that go both ways. And so it's a, it's that that book is one I'm working on. I'm also working on one on um, school shootings. So looking at things like Sandy Hook and Columbine, um, purely because the FBI files on those cases are so fascinating that I started to write. I didn't know I was going to write that book, but it sort of happened. Um, and yeah, there's a few others. I'm, I'm writing a book on serial killers before Jack the Ripper because everyone seems to think Jack the Ripper was the first and he certainly wasn't even close as you guys know. Yeah. Um, so just, just looking at some of those older cases, I have a love of history. Um, so I, I like delving into, you know, ancient Rome and things like that. So 
Yeah, I'll be yeah. doing a whole whole lot of that. Yeah, yeah, that's fast. That's fascinating. If you can incorporate history and get something more, I I sort of like that myself, and and have yeah. quite a few um, books going at the same time too. Always. Yeah, I think I think it keeps you fresh. I think um, I know a lot of authors that get bogged down because they're focusing on one book and. And you can get lost, and I think it becomes a point that um, it almost becomes a, a stale process. So I like to bounce around purely because it keeps it exciting and new, and I hit it with vigour, and I think, yes, let's do, you know, Columbine today, and then tomorrow I'll go, let's look into HH Homes, and so it sort of keeps it all fresh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do, do you have any big influences that write? Do you read any other particular true crime writers? Oh, I read them all. I actually have a personal library. I have about 15,000 books. So um, I, I love writing. I love authors. I love reading. So um, I I mean, I like most true crime authors, I started with Anne Rule. So one of the first uh, true crime books I ever read was Small Sacrifices. So um, that was the first one. Um, oh, there's so many. So... Al, I've got a couple of your books. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we're talking. Yep. No. Yep. Yeah. yep. So, <laughs> um, I've got your Canada ones. So, um, yeah. What is? Uh, yeah. Oh, now you put me on the on, on the spot. I, there's no, a right. lot of J, J, Jim Garrison's on the trial of of the assassins because I'm a JFK conspiracy theorist. Um, was an early one too. Oh, and of course, John Douglas and Mark Olshaker's Mindhunter was, um, oh, fascinating. That was a pivotal yes. moment yes. in my life. Yeah. They were great on the show too. The fascinating people. Yeah. Yeah. Love their books. Yeah. Wow. Here we go. It's, and so it's coming close to an end. How, now, um, let's give out your website and contact information so so if people have a story they want to pass on to you or maybe some Absolutely. information what would they do uh well i'm on all social platforms so you can get me in anywhere under amanda howard on twitter i'm amanda howard 73 i'm um my websites are monsterswhomurder.com and also amandahoward.com.au um, or you can email me at amanda at amandahoward.com.au. I'm, I'm always open to emails. I get lots anyway. But, yeah, on Facebook, I'm there. I'm on Instagram, all those places. So um, I'm happy to chat. I have lots of people ask me for opinions on cases. And because I'm an Aussie, I often come at it at a different um, perspective than my U.S. counterpart. So I'm always happy to, to share my insights. Fantastic. Well, we'll have all that linked up on our website as well, as long as your as well as your books. And we really appreciate being here, Amanda Howard. Thanks, Thank guys. You. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.